Oh, man. So uh, we're recording a, a week ahead. Uh, so we can pretend like not only did we do this stuff that we're going to talk about this week, we can theorize about what we're going to do this week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a couple weeks ago or today, um, let's see, I registered. Uh, we filled out the registration paperwork for LAUSD for uh, West to go to uh, TK. Awesome. Um, and then uh, what else did we do? We did so much cleaning around the house. Um, I think we're both like insanely exhausted. That's why I was like, I don't know, man. I think I only have one in me for tonight because uh, <laughs> we've uh, we cleaned and mopped the patio downstairs. We've completely like cleaned up our uh, roof deck because they painted the building right before Keaton was born. Uh-huh. And uh, we had to move everything to the center. So I'd put everything on the table and stacked everything away from the walls and everything. And then we had Keaton and never went back up there or anything. So, yeah, finally this week we were like, all right, let's do it. And um, we have found a way to uh, make it work with the two kids and get up there and clean, which is nice. Wes loves being up there. Is that a shared space a or is it yours? No, it's our roof deck. Yeah. So we're in like a, it's like a townhouse situation. So everybody has, uh, two living story. Like, like it's like a, a bottom floor, which is like, um, I don't think anybody has a, a bedroom downstairs, but everybody's got a living room, kitchen, bathroom, um, of varying sizes, then living space on the second floor. And then on the third floor is some amalgamation of the air conditioning unit, the, (laughs) uh, the um uh wa- a washer dryer situation like ours is a closet some people have like a whole hallway and then an entire roof deck now because we only have the closet for the washer dryer our roof deck is huge which is great so that's awesome um so yeah we uh we have lights hung and been grilling this week and uh been killing oh spiders. man well i see the view from there and the the picture of so if if, if i'm not mistaken i'm gonna guess now you that roof deck is facing east yes sir all right i could tell by because uh, Susie had posted a picture of the sun the sun hitting the palm trees mm, and i thought mm-hmm. oh man that's pretty that yeah. orange that orange yeah, it's gorgeous on. and like my favorite thing is like when there's a full moon um our door opens to the east. So the minute you open the door, if there's a full moon, it's just like right in your face. It's gorgeous. And there's no tall building. Yes. To our east. So, uh, we have pretty much a great view, um, beyond the palm trees, which are tall. Um, (laughs) yeah, 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 it looks beautiful. Uh, you know, same here. We've been doing with the extra time. We've been doing like some extra cleaning and, and fixing things and, and one of the things that I've been actually taking care of is is kind of doing the intricate little details that I wanted to do, those things in the back of my mind where I thought, I, you know what, I've got the time to be doing this. I just need to start doing it. And some of that stuff is just like tight, like even in my office here, is just tightening up, cleaning certain areas because this doesn't obviously get cleaned a lot, and then making sure that everything functions properly. And it's it doesn't make it easy when I have two little imps that are yes. running around, oh, God, yes. you know, t- touching knobs. So the last rule I made was for Jack was just look, you can push all the buttons you want, but no knob turning because mm. I, I, there's not, I don't remember where everything is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, from the last couple of weeks that we've recorded, we had a little bit of an audio issue. I think that I've worked that out. 
there is a not a button that I had slid the wrong way. And I mm. think what it was doing was it was on like low impedance and it was pulling, it was trying to draw more power from it. So it was making that buzzing noise. Mm-hmm. But that, that in turn affected the dials that are on my mixer, which kind of freaked me out because I thought these are the dials that I set. But before you and I got on tonight, I'd recorded a few things and it sounds okay, you know, but it's just I, all of these things I tried to dial in and you think you get it. And if you don't absolutely take a picture of it or mark it, man, yeah. you're just, I'm kind of like flying by the seat of my pants tonight. And you know what? We're going to record tonight. And if I if we don't get a good recording, well, then you know what, man? We're just splat out of luck. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> this is this Jimmy, Jimmy Eat Pod. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. Um, splat out of luck. Um, it's an early, early demo from late 93 and is on their 94 self-titled debut album that they like to pretend does not exist um yeah and and (laughs) i don't know why because i heard this i heard the demo first mm -hmm. looking at looking at our spreadsheet and i saw that oh it's on uh it's on the 1993 demo so i went to that our our repo and looked at that and listened to it and i for the quality that it was i really like it yeah it it was um my my first note on this was with this specific version that the uh, the feedback at the beginning completely reminded me of like three elevens down, which actually yeah. was around the same time, right? Oh wow, like 93, really? 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So not that it was influenced at all, but I I liked that introduction. It's funny uh, you say that because you know recently, um, no, this was a couple of years ago, but remember when um, uh, what's the first Rage album that really went big and they still play songs on K Rock today? Uh, was it the one with the burning monk? I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know their records that well. But I know. Oh, no, you know, it was. Um, oh my gosh! It's the guy. It's I, I had a buddy uh, Travis. It's not Battle wore, of Los Angeles, right? That no, was no, no. I had a buddy uh, Travis who wore the the t shirt. Uh, mm. Tommy's Tommy's cousin Travis. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, oh my gosh! It's the cool. yellow one, right, with the guy on it. I'm so Maybe. bad at this. I, I won't know it if you describe it to me. Yeah, I it's might Evil know Empire. the title. Ah, that sounds right. That's it. So, um, they had released when that record turned 20 um the uh like original or maybe it was 25 or was it because that record came out in like the early 90s and it's so insane to me that that record came out in the early 90s because by the time i was listening to k-rock they still played those songs non-stop like right it's insane they still play those songs non-stop today and they sound so fresh and modern compared to uh uh, like other bands that you hear early stuff like this, for example, like doesn't really sound like Jimmy Eat World does sound very nineties. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, opening their demo with it, I think it's a great opening track. Oh, absolutely. Because that was gonna be my, my next point was, I love that they open with this one. It's so good to sort of fake out people, right? Like to say, Oh, this is what the song, the, it's going to be a slow, like cool, thoughtful, like sounds kind of emo um song and then they just rip into a skate punk beat oh, which yeah, i totally. absolutely love like i definitely want to go out skating yeah <laughs> um that's what you said you had texted me that you wanted to go like yeah. bust some kick flips <laughs> I wanted to go do some yeah bust some kick flips and, and grind and some uh, some manuals man <laughs> <laughs> and then i listened to so you had you had texted or messaged me that you were surprised that there were two versions of it 
And when I noticed that we weren't doing a second one for this, I thought, well, let me just go over to the the self-titled album and listen to it there, where it's track four. Mm-hmm. It shows up as track four of ten. So it's almost in the middle of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe at the end of, uh, toward the end of side one, right? The, the Because this is, uh, I guess this would be on CD by Weird, this Weird, I have four right? of 11, but uh, I'll take Do your you? word for it, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. Yep, 11, oh, Car, okay. Cars. Cars is the last one. Classic. Right. Four of, Classic four of 11, Cars. So. Who can forget Cars? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I listened to that one too, and it was good, but it sounded, uh, coming from the one where I, I you know, it was the, my first introduction this afternoon to Splat Out of Luck, I thought, I liked that one better than the produced the more produced version that's on their self-titled album mm-hmm. uh, so i went back to that one and you know you when when i compared them side to side side by side you can you can definitely hear the difference in sound but yeah. the the elements that were in the original in their demo spoke to me more and reached me more now i'm interested in hearing from people uh that were around at this time because i got very close release dates for the demo and the self-titled record so I have that the demo cassette came out d- December nineteenth, ninety three, and then oh, that, that means the just self- a month later. Yeah, and then the self titled debut January twenty third, ninety four. Um, it's kind of, I mean, here's the thing: is when time at that time at, when you're that young, like they're what maybe late teens. Yeah, yeah, early, I'd say, yeah, mid to late teens. Yeah, they were just getting out of a junior high, right. So how old how old are they? Jim is seventy. Um, I want to say seventy five. So okay, yeah, they're eighteen, nineteen. Uh, yep, seventy five. Um, November seventy five. So, um, and let's look at Tom. August seventy five. Um, okay, and they're all like preschool friends, so they're all like forty four now. So yeah, at that time <laughs> right. they're all eighteen essentially, right? right? Um. Mm-hmm. Or no, 18? Yeah, 18. Um, Everything is the band. You know what I mean? So it's either the demo cassette tape release date on Discogs is wrong, or uh, they really were like, let's release this demo, get it out there, and then, oh, Wooden Blue Records in Phoenix, they want to record us. Oh, let's just get in the studio. Um. And record this. Uh, they right. also mention on the demo. Have you have you seen the liner notes for the demo tape? I didn't actually see that. Are those so, on uh, Discogs? They are on Discogs, and they say specifically that hey, these were kind of uh, recorded in the wee hours of the night <laughs> when we could get into the studio. Um, and it even has a handwritten label from uh, I, maybe Jim. I can't tell. Because it doesn't look like Jim's handwriting now, which is like almost all the band's logos and things are right. based on his handwriting. Uh, but it says on the tape, on the cassette tape, it's a TDK, you know, cassette tape that probably has way more time on it than the songs actually are. <laughs> um, but it says, Jimmy World, yes, I wrote all of these by hand um, <laughs> on the cassette. Uh, but the art, the J case is actually really cool. This is the one that has the cartoon drawing of Jim eating the world. Um uh, which is pretty cool. It's weird. Is that like a hand with like a anchor tattoo on it? And it's well, can you Jimmy. send me the, an image or a link to oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can take a look real quick. I'm gonna. I, uh, I did not. I didn't find that. And I just, you know, you know, me and Discogs trying to find something on there. <laughs> I know. So, I've cracked the code. I've figured it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It'd be easier just to link me. 
Uh, yeah, I'd I'm, love to take a look at that. This is on the uh, this is on the liner notes, the, the image, or is this the cover? Yeah, so the cover itself is oh, the nice. artwork. So it's you know a bit. The artwork is really cool. Like, how old were the kids at this time drawing these pictures? I don't think I could draw a face and arm reaching out. Oh, okay, yeah, it is an arm reaching out, grabbing the world in its hand. Right uh, on, and black. then it says Jimmy. With an anchor tattoo, like the the most, like I, and especially in the nineties, like I felt like any tat anybody who had a tattoo had to have an anchor tattoo, like Popeye, right? Um, and uh, just completely grabbing the earth and uh, bringing it into his large gullet with his tongue hanging out there. Um, so that's the cover, and then it has a spine, Jimmy Eat World, uh, all lowercase, no spaces, with a period at the end. Very cool. Oh, yeah, totally. That's uh, they're ahead of their time, actually. Super ahead of their time, yeah. I mean, like, bands debate that so much these days. And then the liner notes are actually really cool. I love the kerning and the spacing of everything. It's so haphazard and, and out, out there. Oh, um, yeah. It's tough to read the top, but it says Jimmy Eat World is Tom Linton. You can guess it says vocals and guitar. And then it says... Jim Atkins, guitar, vocals, Mitch Porter, bass, mm-hmm. Zach Lynn, drums. Then recorded by Jason Borman. Uh, between the hours closely separating the 20th and 21st days of 1994. So it's interesting. This says that this was, I would insinuate that this was recorded by Jason Borman between the hours closely separating the 20th and 21st days of 1994. So they recorded it in one night on January 20th, right? Sounds like it, yeah. So this is not a 1993 demo. And then what does that mean for the release of the original self-titled record? Is it later in 94? And Discogs No, because that one I think would Wikipedia be... Wikipedia w- had the date wrong then? or No way, because I mean, I, I don't recall where I got my date, but I still mine still says January 23rd, 1994. If we have both Discogs and Wikipedia saying the same dates, that one would seem they're... Their um, actual, the, the eponymous release, the first album, I can't imagine them having that date wrong, regardless of what the, the band thinks of it. Um, right. Hmm. So. Curious. 484JEPod, if anybody yeah, knows Yeah, if the you can help that. us to explain <laughs> this. Uh, thank you, Joel Lebo, L-E-I-B-O-W. Thank you, Ophir Safina. That's a cool name. Um, thank you, Jeff Menninger. And I Ate the Sandbox. I wonder if that's a band. Uh, thank you, Aaron Balkin and Nothing Cool. Maybe another band. And thank yeah. you. Copyright 1994, Jimmy Eat World. So there's 1994 again. And, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Play This Loud. Which is like <laughs> insanely um, teeny. Uh, and then there's like pictures of somebody eating cake maybe or something. Yeah, um, or maybe rice. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. I guess um, maybe maybe cake would make more sense than rice. Why would you have like a pilaf? <laughs> you know that they're eating. Yeah. Eat this pilaf. And we're gonna take and your then there's a cool artwork for what almost looks like. So this is the other side of the J case, um, where it looks like every little song has its own little artwork. So splat out of luck, which is the opening track, has a little splat with these eyes holding a flower. Very Looney um, Tunes. Yeah, kind of cool. And then there's Toad that has a little toad next to it and stuff like that, but. Um, kind of cool, right? Oh yeah. Um, 
So yeah, every little every little track has a little guy. I wonder, uh, you're better at Illustrator than I am. Could you trace over that little splatty guy and get us a higher res image of that? Oh, absolutely. Hell yeah. yeah. Let's do that for the artwork this week. For um, sure. That would be cool. And we should do that for, I mean, the toad is going to be near impossible to recreate well. I'm sure that there's got to be somebody whatever that another, other thing is. But Somebody has got to have a better um Yeah, if somebody or, has a scan of this, send it to us so we yeah. can uh, either A, get really good um, uh, copies of the original images, or we can trace them over and sort of vectorize them. Right. Uh, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the splat guy is going to be look great, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the uh, okay. sorry that that goes into liner notes as we dug into the release date of this and uh, very confusing that they would release a demo with insanely poorly timed vocals from Tom. Um, right. Uh, on the demo and then a pretty great sounding, although not very different version that was released on the uh, on the self-titled record. So from our previous notes on this track, I have down that um, it was produced by, I put Jimmy World, but also Steve Naughton. I don't know on if we the, were... Yeah, he did the record version. Jason Borman recorded the demo, so I would assume he's the producer, but Steve Naughton did the Wooden Blue Record, self-titled record version. Well, check this out. So um, let's go down Let's go down this little rabbit hole here. So Steve oh. Naughton, I, I thought, what is Steve Naughton up to? Or what has he been up to? So he not only he did he put together in March of '94. So this is um, a little bit later after this album was released. He put a a co-headlining EP. I guess that's how you would say it. Of Face to Face and Horace Pinker. I like that one Face to Face song. Right. Oh, you don't know what you are getting. Exactly. So we've got Face to Face and Horace Pinker. I had to look up what Horace Pinker was up to. Mm-hmm. So I, I checked it out, and so there's a couple of things I noticed about Horace Pinker. So Horace Pinker is a local Arizona band. So they were an American punk rock band formed in 1991 in Tempe, Arizona, but they're based in Chicago, Illinois. And it sounds like, from, from what I, I looked, it, it I don't know if they're still ac- active, mm. but they still seem to be producing some sort of music. So their discography, they've had something, their recover EP, on Dead Broke Records uh, was in 2015. They they were not nearly as big as as Face to Face. So this was another um, Horace Pinker was pop punk musical sound with catchy hooks and and political lyrics. Ooh. And if you look at other instances of the music that they put out, they've never strayed from that that um, that ideal. So that's their thing. That. Yeah. Right, exactly, and you have to. I mean, if they've been doing that for the last twenty-five years, and so Steve Naughton has also produced them, or yes. put a comp out that included them. Right now, um, Horace Pinker. I also checked this out. So I was looking. What is? I was looking at Horace Pinker, and this movie comes up. Um, mm. It is a Wes Craven black comedy <clears throat> called Shocker. And get this. So this is the idea. Um, so Horace Pinker is the main antagonist. Of West of West Craven's black comedy shocker, he is the first introduced as a psychotic TV repairman who slaughters entire families. When finally caught and executed in the electric chair, he returns from the dead with a new array of demonic powers, including the power to control electricity and the ability to enter people's dreams. That's but get this, nuts. Yeah. I know. Guess who he is played by? He is played by none other than Mitch Pileggi. From X Files, okay. which I Whoa. don't get, you know, it just seems like that positive. But he's playing this totally whacked out uh, guy that was in, you know, insane. Went into the electric chair, and uh, he's got like all these marks on his head because he was fried. 
But uh, that's who they named their band after, was uh, a Wes Craven uh, character named Horace Pinker. Nice, dude. Mm-hmm. And I did actually grab a clip. So let me see. I've got, I've got a clip. If you want to listen to it, what... Uh, let me move to this Jimmy Eat pod playlist here that I have. So this is a clip of... Let's see. It's called Pop Can Park by Horace Pinker. Uh, and this is one of their top tracks if you go through uh, Spotify. So definitely got that pop, that uh, that pop punk skater sound. I'm so into this, yeah. Oh yeah. So they never really strayed from that 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 I guess that uh, that visualization that uh, that uh, you know that that sort of approach that they've got with music, but it, it, that kind of sounds like an older version of Face to Face. And you picked the exact song that I thought of too. And this <laughs> song, even though it didn't come up in Airheads, I when I watched it, oh uh, a month yes, ago, it, it totally felt like that kind of film. But this is I'll play a little clip, and everyone's gonna know this one. This is the one that. Uh, their number one track like 8 million plays right love this song yeah and there's multiple versions of it are there there are I forget I think I have like a comp and it was a different version than the one they always played on K-Rock But this is a way more produced version of what Horace Pinker's got going on. This is like yeah. a Horace Pinker. I love that bass Pinker tone. Made. Fuck, that's so good. <laughs> you don't know what they me. I love the harmony right here. Oh, yeah. Is that something that you should know? Let's play a little bit of that chorus. because I think that's the part where everyone just sings along, right? Now! <laughs> <laughs> So there, yeah, that's face to face. When I saw face to face, you know, Steve Naughton, I thought, okay, I know face to face. And then, sure enough, looking at that top track, okay, definitely, that is like the uh, uh, the quintessential mid '90s. Oh my God, pop so track. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's the montage scene uh, track where everyone in in the uh, in in the movie is just now they've they've come to realize their their golden moment in the film, and they're just dancing around. Totally, yeah. Now, check this out. So, where is my note here on this? I have a... Okay, I'm going to go to the face-to-face Wikipedia. So, check this out. So, the bass... We were just talking about these guys. I don't know if we were talking about them on the pod, but we were talking about um, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, right? Yes. And how they just sort of... <laughs> oh, they left, kicked out left Chris Shiflett? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, guess who, <laughs> guess who plays no with way. them? Yeah, it's Scott Shiflett. Chris's oh, brother. Oh yes, who is the bassist in Face to Face? So I I somehow came across this one time because I think Scott fills in for Fat Mike. I think that's what I came across. Scott, that even Scott existed. I think he fills in for Fat Mike when Me First goes out without Fat Mike. 
Yeah, he is he is a fill-in member. He's listed as a fill-in member for tours from me first and the Gaming Gamies. But I thought it was so strange that you and I both thought oh, not you know, anymore. Is not <laughs> that kind of sucks of me first to be to take out to kick out Chris Chiflet, but then they've got his brother in there, so <laughs> who's like arguably the biggest name that they have? Except uh, yeah, for like you know, like Chris just doesn't play you know Epitaph Rock, you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I thought that was an interesting find that I came across because we were not just talking about that so and how Chris. I was sort know of, somebody oh. that has the same last name as one of the guys in Horace Pinker and is from Phoenix. So I'm asking her if she's related or knows him. Um, we'll be interested. Do you want to? Is is it the basis? Is it Midic? Uh, it's. Oh, let me see. What's this guy's name? Uh, no, Jesse Everhart. Oh, Everhart. I don't know huh? what he does. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if she knows him or them, and maybe he can be our guest on the pod. Uh, although you have an idea for a guest, and right, uh, and actually that takes me into my next little point that I want to make. So w- we had referenced a a book that was oh, what was it? It was the the history of metal. Um, I had just mentioned it to you earlier uh, today. A brief history of a American metal history. or something. It wasn't yes. it, but <laughs> right. <laughs> so enough. I was a little I was a little bit concerned that I was going to be referencing that same book, but it was actually not that book. So I came across a You're such a, book, a literary uh, boy. I know. This is crazy. I also love <laughs> that that um Google Books has this stuff online that I don't have to actually, you know, uh, and sift it's searchable. Through. Yes, exactly. So this is a book um published in 2008 by Eric Grubbs called Post and let me make sure I get this. So Post, if you look on Goodreads, this is a uh, an overview of Post. Post is a look at how post-hardcore emo developed music developed since its unintentional inception in the mid-1980s. Now, we had talked about that as being the first wave of emo. With each chapter broken up by influential band or label, it focuses on a broad style of independent music that developed because of the do-it-yourself ethic. Focusing on bands like Fugazi, Jawbox, Jawbreaker, Sunny Day Real Estate, Braid, The Promise Ring, Hot Water Music, The Get Up Kids, At The Drive-In, and Jimmy Eat World, as well as labels like Discord, Jade Tree, and Vagrant. These bands and labels came from the ideas of DIY and sustained them. So there's a lot of good content in here, and it's got almost a four out of five on on Goodreads. I'm so glad you, I don't know how you found this, because I didn't, (laughs) but I'm so glad you did. So I have picked uh, three excerpts that I wanted to talk about, and there's one new thing that I that I found in this, which I was I was so happy to find this. So I'm going to go with the first section, which is uh, this is page 294 of the book, uh, the very first page of Jimmy Eat World, um, subtitled Mesa, Arizona. Growing up in Mesa, Arizona, Zach Lind and Jim Adkins met in preschool. Lind's mother was their teacher. Mm-hmm. Did not know that. Oh, you didn't? Oh, okay. Somehow I, did I knew not, that. No, that was new for me. MTV oh, I have had a, a major effect mm. on them, especially early on. I think anyone who plays a musical instrument like music, likes music and they're young, you see the excitement of them playing music and playing for lots of people, Lynn says. Uh, daily exposure to videos kept the interest going, but those raised before MTV thought pop music had taken a turn for the worse after the channel debuted. So they get a lot of their influence from musicians on MTV is what that goes on to say. And then later on page one on 295, we have in high school, Lynn and fellow friend guitarist Tom Linton jammed together. One day they asked Adkins to play bass with them. So that's where maybe his bass skills come from that you saw oh, from his life. I do think I heard him mention that at one point. Um, Ad, Adkins had jammed with Lynn before on Metallica covers, but he was more versed on guitar. Jim 
didn't really want to play bass, so he started bringing his guitar, Lynn says. <laughs> and this is, this is cool with Rick here. The trio liked what they had but wanted a bassist to round everything out. They asked Rick Birch to play bass before they asked Adkins, but due to various reasons, including being in another band, Birch said no. Mitch Porter, a former bandmate of Adkins, wound up joining. So that's when they mentioned him showing up. And the last thing that I wanted to mention was on page uh, 296. And let me go back to that. Uh, that is since their baseless beginning, they first practiced in Lynn's garage and recorded songs on a boombox. They recorded a proper demo, which I think this is the album we're talking about. They recorded a proper demo at Central Christian Church, the same church where Lynn would get married in 1999. Whoa. They knew Steve Naughton, a local who owned some gear and had a studio called the Phoenix Recording Company. Recording during some free time Naughton offered to them, Jimmy World cut their first seven-inch dubbed one, two, three, four, and the 11 songs that comp- comprise their self-titled debut album. And this is where they mention the track we're doing today. Featuring Linton on lead vocals on almost every track, the songs on Jimmy Eat World have the spunk found in most pop punk of the day. Songs like Chachi, Splat Out of Luck, and Cars feature Lynn's hyperactive drum beats, Linton and Adkins' thick power chords, and Porter's jumping bass lines. And then it goes on to mention another uh, few tracks and some other uh, influencing bands. But I thought that was cool because this was a new new book that I think would be interesting to read, you know, apart from what I was, uh, what I was able to extract from yeah. uh, Google Books. But very yeah, interesting. I don't know how, I don't know how much of that. Yeah. They go on to talk about Christie Front Drive, uh, mention a few things about Wood and Blue Records, which um, here, actually, I, I must have overlooked that. So uh, fellow high school friends Jeremy Yoakum and jo- Joel Lebo, right? Did you mention oh, him? Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Ran a label called Wood and Blue that they pressed up to 2,000 copies of Jimmy Eat World on CD. When the pressing eventually sold out, they did not print any more copies. Much speculation as to why it's never been repressed has circulated over the years, but there isn't much to the reasoning. It's not really an issue of us wanting to hide it or anything like that, Lynn says. It's not really our record to repress. So I wonder if he just had, if this guy, um, Eric, had just talked with Zach for sound bites or, you know, I guess text bites but mm-hmm. for this, um, and just asked, asked him questions and interviewed him and then put together his jimmy world's portion of this because it's about 20 pages of just i mean it's it's extensive what he goes over that's pretty cool Talks about promised ring later on so i'm gonna i'm gonna dip into that well as we get into those tracks but i thought that was interesting just to kind of set a a foundation for where the band was at and where they had recorded it interesting so that sort of backs up this other thing that i found so i was looking around on discogs and like we already said with the release dates and everything, because the release dates on Discogs of the demo tape and the self-titled debut are both that December 93 date. Um, and I noticed that no matter which version of the self-titled record I clicked on had the same, had a lot of the same comments and like uh-huh. literally the same comments and some had more than others. So it's like somehow they're tied in the back end, but n- not really. But there's this guy named Temocore, T-E-M-O-C-O-R-E. And just in February of this year, February 27th, he told somebody, because a lot of people are saying, oh, whoever uploaded the album art for this, uh, it looks like it's a bootleg. Um, And a lot of it is people talking about the CD. So I'm assuming they're talking about specifically the self-titled CD. This guy Temocore says, try to take some pictures of it. Oh, because somebody said, um, oh, I saw it for $125 at a local record store. Is that a good price? Um, Somebody says, try to, this guy 
Temacore says, try to take some pictures of it and send them to me. I'll let you know if it's a legit copy or a bootleg. There were only 500 copies made, so it's most likely a fake. By the way, I'm a longtime friend of Jim, and I have one of the original copies. So there's only 500 copies of this original pressing, wow. which <laughs> backs up what that book said. So, right. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And I think I came across, I'll have to come across it when we do another track for this, but I believe he told somebody that there were like even fewer copies of, or I think there was one where he said there were only two copies of this ever made. The band has one and I have the other or something like that. I don't remember <laughs> what that was in regard to though. Um, and I don't remember if it was Temacore that said that, but it's kind of interesting. We're starting to get into the nitty gritty of these people that were around back then, you know? Right. And you know, being on that, uh, the Facebook group and some of the people that are on the subreddit, I, you know, I would love for them just to come on and give us some of this insight on, yeah. on what or they call know. in four eight four J pod. Yeah, just let us know, even if it's a if it's a little a little bit uh, that you want to add to our uh, yeah. what we're kind of uh, wading through here. So yeah, one person said that they bought one, but they're pretty surprised to see it. They think it might be a bootleg, but it's not a CDR. But then in another comment, somebody said, "Oh, the serial number on that CD, uh, even though it's not a CDR." Uh, is not from 94 so it can't be the original which is crazy like that people looking at that to, yeah <laughs> be able to tell from that yeah that number alone uh so yeah what a tangent we went on um yeah but very cool that i don't know how you find those books and stuff but that's why yeah. the two of us do the research because oh uh, yeah checks checks and balances man yeah man uh so uh i have should we talk about the lyrics at all yeah, sure. Before that, you know, what do you think when you think of splat out yeah. of luck? Yeah. I didn't actually I had not heard that term and it wasn't the first one that came to mind. No. So There's, do you think this is like a mix? Well, it's either flat out of luck or the more common shit out of luck, SOL. Right. But also they're Mormon boys. So is that just like I couldn't find anything on Google outside of Jimmy Eat World for Splat Out of Luck. Exactly. Me neither. But maybe it was just a turn of phrase that they had coined or, I mean, they released the song twice, so they liked the idea of it. Yeah. Um, I could imagine one of their moms or, or yeah, their mom saying it. Just <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's well, a, just I already did it. Th- yeah, I did one of those today. Like, uh, yeah, my Splat Out of Luck is, yeah. Uh, 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 things turn out best for people who make the best of the way things turn out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my splat out of luck. <laughs> and I tried to look up where shit out of luck originated. Mm. So it's uh, the initialism from shit out of luck, though sometimes euphemized, uh, was 1917, World War I military slang applicable to everything from death to being late for mess. Hmm. Captain, Captain Boyd's Battery, um, American Expeditionary Forces. <laughs> whatever so, any of that means it's uh, funny yeah. did you also do what i did and look up the etymology for the word splat i did not tell me so that's a mid 19th century word from obsolete splat split up related to split so i'm like oh interesting so i mean a lot of it i i wondered if it was onomatopoeia but i didn't see anybody say that it was um uh onomatopoeia totally being a word that, that uh, that uh, sounds like the sound that it makes. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, apparently it's just derived from an obsolete word uh, about splitting up related to the word split. Um, and that sort of tracks a little bit. Split, splat, like is it the plat- past tense 
is it not splitted? It's splat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, it would be splitted out of luck. Yeah, splat out of luck. Yeah. Um, Maybe that makes it a little bit more deep. Now, now I guess we can then jump did into eighteen-year-old Tom Linton. Know I that? know, right? We can jump into the lyrics, and there's there's one line that I that I I had favorited here. Okay, but it starts out with "My intentions are growing, growing, but going nowhere, going nowhere near here. Seen it all once, but lost it inside of something. Been pulled over my heart." Mm. Now that last line is is to me seems like it's the most. Uh, like introspective or the one that's not as I guess it's surface level. I like to say it's that, better that. than what was the song we talked about last week? Garbage picker, like a <laughs> garbage picker. Yeah, right. We see him, but he doesn't see us. The uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was no. That was notebook material. They read this a one book. Seems a, a little bit, um, a, a little bit more. Uh, maybe they they had uh, conversed and they said, "All right, well, maybe I don't like that lyric." And then, it's, you know, they, they just sort of uh, discussed it and came across with this one. So my intentions are growing, but going nowhere, going nowhere near here. Seen it all once, but lost it inside of something and pulled over my heart. My thought with that is like this, does this person get, is he lost in love? Because what uh, else would be pulled over your heart, right? Yeah. Uh, and getting lost inside His intentions, inside seen it all once, but lost it in, is it in, is it being his intentions? Seen it all once. Seen his intentions all once. Seen seen things going nowhere before, and then he lost it inside of something. Been pulled over my heart. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think seen it. I think the it is more like the uh, the ethereal sort of. I, I've been there. I've seen it all. Oh uh, yeah, I, I guess I've you know, so. gone through that <laughs> once. I don't know if it necessarily means the my intentions are growing. I don't know if they had that that forethought to. Th- to th- <laughs> <laughs> Like these seen it all in. once, but lost it inside of something. Been pulled over my heart. What what's been pulled over my heart though? Right. I think that's the big question that I'm asking for this um, to set up the rest of the song. Is like, I, I I'm thinking that they are. Um, I guess you have to read on a little bit to kind of get where I'm going to go with this. Um, so, but lost inside of something that's been pulled over my heart, and then it goes into the, the second chorus? verse. Uh, no, 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 you're right. It's, oh. it's the chorus. And and you're right. It is the chorus. And you think you've seen it all, but you wonder where I go. I've been growing right side of wrong. That's kind of a cool one, too. Yeah. I've been growing right side of wrong. Yeah. <laughs> is this wrong? Right. You know, it's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, you, and you think you've seen it all, but you wonder where I go. So now it's it now it's talking with it's bringing somebody else into this yeah. story. Oh, well, and then there's think, like a post chorus. Like yeah, a, yeah, okay. right. It's too late. You're too late, and that's where I I feel like the the song comes together and explains to me what happened. Right, right. So it's too late. You're too late. His thoughts, his intentions are too late, and then you're too late. And what do I have there? Is my note there? Um, oh, then they do a oh in the demo they do is is this called a string wipe? When you take, uh, or is it a pick, a pick slide? Oh, pick slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick, pick slides are it. sick. Oh, yeah. So they do one right there. They have the little musical break. And right before they come back into that second <laughs> verse. <they laughs> yeah, man. They got octave chords. They got pick slides. This is a skate yeah. punk band. <laughs> Did you want to listen to a clip of it? Oh, please. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do the demo because I like that one better. So here's, here's the demo splat out of luck. Those octaves, man. 
Oh, it's so good. Open up that fucking pit. Slow it back down to that tempo at the beginning, and then they slow it and down. Yeah, you even think more. like, oh, this is a bridge, break. and nope, they're out. Man, I figured I'd just play the whole damn thing. He's so frustratingly out of time, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. When he comes in late to the on, on the on the lyrics, yeah, it's like always like the third line. He's like way off time already. Yeah, <laughs> but I imagine maybe this is at one or two in the morning, and oh yeah. They're just you know, we got one chance at each one of these tracks. Like, dude, Let's just do we're it. just trying. Yeah, we just wanted to show people that we're a band already. Like, just let's put it out. <laughs> and if they did record this in order, this was the first track. Maybe they're just getting dialed. Oh in, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, uh, I don't know. So anyway, it's too late. And then yeah, I, I, I forgot that he says, "Am I just splat out, splat out of luck?" Hey, says the name of the song. It's my oh, favorite. Yeah, and you, that's think like when you people in the TV show say the name of the TV show. Yeah, and this is splat <laughs> out of luck. <laughs> Um, but you wonder where I go. I've been growing right side of wrong. So bringing it back. And then it's too late. You're too late. I think this just, this amounts to, it's two people. They're too late. They're both just too late. They're, yeah. they're, they're they've missed their, their opportunities. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. is that what you gather from this? Looking at these lyrics? I do. I wonder if they rewrote it today. If the second chorus, they'd say, and I think I've seen it all. Exactly. I wonder where you go. If they wrote yeah. it today, I bet they would do something like that. Oh yeah, they, yeah. That, it's exactly what they would do. They would go through the the Jimmy Eat World formula, yeah, and you know, sort of the switch. Although they sort of did that on Garbage Picker, but I'll bet they just forgot the lyrics and they were like, "Yeah, oh, I'll you just had fit me them going there here, with yeah. that one." They literally swapped the, the, the lines. <laughs> it wasn't even like a like chase, changing he he for me or you for I. It was literally just swapping the 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 lines. <laughs> so let's see, what else do I have here? Um, uh, song meanings. Somebody says, can't say I've heard it. I, yeah, what? And then somebody says, yeah, where is this song? 
come on, True Meaning. And then the name of their, their <laughs> username is, is True Meaning. And then Blinks BCR. Yeah, where is this song? Great, great comments, guys. Yeah. The Blinks BCR, that's a Blink-182 reference, obviously, because BCR yes. is Boxcar Racer. There you go. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, and then I think there was a third comment that actually went into it, but I like those comments the best. Yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> right? It's it's not bad, actually. <laughs> Taken from their first full-length album sounds pretty cool. Yeah, in terms of... Uh, setlist.fm i had no information of them playing it at all however there is so i was like oh how far back do their set lists go and there are at least three songs from that show at the troubadour where they got signed to capital uh one of yeah. which was opener which i was very excited about Ooh. um yeah um and also new tune bat info so you know i couldn't mix <laughs> right. this song with anything <laughs> damn it uh, <laughs> you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna be uh bummed that i'm missing out on my camelot in my <laughs> <laughs> I know. If only somebody from Toombat would come on the show and explain. I know, damn it. We just, can maybe yeah. figure out Camelot on our own. Yeah. We don't we I mean I would still refer to Toonbat. Yeah. Um did our boy have anything to say on his blog? Nope. <laughs> Didn't even mention it. Um I did find so they do largely pretend that this record doesn't exist. However, I pulled a clip of uh I, I did a search of 1994, and I did find Jim was on the Seven Words podcast in 2018 and uh, and talked a little bit about 1994. Uh, and what's interesting is he talks about the band started in 94, um, which maybe he's just counting it because the debut album came out that year or something. Mm -hmm. But go ahead and play this clip. At least he talks about that 94 existed. All right. <laughs> It's tricky because like I I we started Jimmy Eat World in 1994 and that's really the only band I've been in since you know so it's like I know how we did things and how we kind of came to realize our process for things so that's I don't have any other comparison you know yeah. which is kind of odd but for us it was like um, you know we just played things that sounded like our record collection yeah and we pieced together bits here that sounded cool and that's and we have enough those enough of those bits together and then we call that a song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so yeah i mean it's basically what all of us do when we start a band we want to oh let's write that song that sounds like this and let's write that no effect song let's write that afi song <laughs> right um <laughs> just uh, to get something on record right yeah and then somebody else there's a consequence of sound article that wikipedia mentions where uh so, uh who, who wrote this article i should probably give this person credit uh this is written by dan caffrey and ben Kay and Justin Gerber dissected Jimmy Eat World with Jim Adkins. So I was like, oh, exciting. Jim is going to talk about the songs on this record. No, Jimmy says words about f albums fans love, but bands tend to ignore, like this one <laughs> and Pablo <laughs> Honey. So uh, Pablo Honey, what is that, a Radiohead record or who, REM? Yes. Who, who is that? Radiohead. Yeah, it's Radiohead. So do they pretend Pablo Honey doesn't exist? <laughs> um. I think I don't know if I uh no I could uh, in rainbows like I don't know many Radiohead records uh, so anyway um this is just Jim talking about other song other albums that bands tend to ignore uh, I don't know how the band feels about it but stoned and dethroned by Jesus and Mary Chain is one of my favorites of all time but for some reason the record just didn't get enough attention I think everybody wanted the wall of feedback a kind of all acoustic record was a shock for some people but I thought it was great. Um, so I don't know, like, uh, I guess he, uh, uh, 
I still couldn't find him really directly talking about the <laughs> the song or the song or the album or anything. Yeah, it just sort of skirts around it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else? Uh, did you find anything community wise? Um, no, actually, I I don't think I did because I don't so, have it in my notes. Um, what what did you find? Let me let me just search again. Double check just to make sure we don't. No we don't go over that. There was nothing on Reddit, which I was a little surprised about. There was not even a bracket for this. Um, yeah, the, the only thing I came across was yeah, I, I visited this earlier. Um, it was a mention of it from. Uh, somebody had posted Gary Busea. <laughs> oh. Uh, so I'm curious. I have the very first Jimmy Eat World. We've referenced this before, I swear. Uh, we I have the very first Jimmy Eat World self-titled album from 1994, the one that the bandists owned. I'm curious, what do you guys value it at? Uh, I just want to get a consensus of what mm-hmm. it's actually worth. I know my diehard fans know which album I'm talking about. <laughs> and and this, is, this is why I remember this. Uh, Scott Jaw said, I can't tell if you're fishing for intel or low-key trying to sell it, but this book gives me <laughs> cartoon super villain vibes. <laughs> I thought that was so good. That's good. No response? Uh, yeah, no, Discogs has it as median value of 100 bucks. Nah, I don't want to sell it. Seriously, it took me too long to get it. Thanks for the intel, Yeah, Gary. You see it. That was it. <laughs> um, and then where is it? Oh, yeah. So I Chew Gum said, disowned. I've never heard that. Uh, it's a fun little punk rock album very high school but but still a good time splat out of luck and house arrest are peppy fun songs in the last song whose name i can't recall no oh, good you found Mama some stuff then. Yeah, yeah you found some stuff then that was um, it though that was the one mention of it on our uh, on the subreddit so yeah oh interesting i couldn't even fu- interesting i searched jimmy world subreddit for splat out of luck and nothing came up so i'm glad you found something yeah i even searched the word splat and nothing came up um <laughs> so uh brendan Fick on January 7th of this year says, uh, what do you guys think of my new cover photo? And it's the the cover art of the demo with uh, Jim eating the world. Uh, spent all of yesterday evening into last night listening to all the early demos and splits again. And Alex Kyle comments, splat out of luck or ugly kid, I guess are okay, but none really shine for me, to be honest. So <laughs> that's one mention that I heard of splat out of luck. And then uh, October 27th, 2019, Dominic Morales says, what's your favorite track off of every LP? Feel free to exclude self-titled if you're not familiar with it. But he includes that his favorite track off of the, track off the self-titled record is Splat Out of Luck. <laughs> Literally no one in the 61 comments below mentioned that song. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's uh, the whole social aspect of it that I heard. Um uh, well, I, I am interested to hear the other songs on the album just to get a, a better idea of where where the album stands as a whole. But yeah, if, didn't, if I was to be introduced to this this uh, the demo or the band through this song, I think, damn, this was actually this is a really well put together uh, musically. You know, again, totally, the, yeah. the, the lyrics are a little funky, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, they brought it in there. They 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 brought in the. <laughs> yeah, there were a few parts like uh, going nowhere near, and then when he he holds out and yeah, I didn't hear someone would here. normally just sing the lyric, and he just brings it at the tail end of that and goes here. Yeah, I <laughs> guess I thought he was just saying nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's our um, boy band. Yeah, totally. He's doing a big vocal run. So let's see, how many songs made it onto both things? 
Um, I'm looking. Did Top Heavy make it onto? No. Was Splat Out of Luck the only thing that made it? Crooked grounded anything. Crooked. Okay, Crooked made it. So only Crooked and Splat Out of Luck. Everything else is new, uh, new material. Uh, unless it has a different name. Um, and uh, oh, we right. didn't mention, but uh, on the self-titled record, uh, Tom sings all of the songs except for Usury. Usury is a gym song. Um, and oh, uh, the, but we'll get okay, to yeah, that when we get to it. Uh, right. And then on the demo, I think they're all Tom songs. Yeah, uh, and it's Tom season right now because uh, it yeah. is. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I could not find any covers. Did you find anything you want to play? No, um, I couldn't find anything that was worth. Yeah, there, there were. I mean, there were no covers for this specific track, but yeah. I, I didn't really find anything that I wanted to play. So, do you have anything that's like offbeat? I got three three <laughs> offbeat things. Yes, Lil Tecca. Okay, so Lil Tecca on SoundCloud has a song called "Out of Luck." So I spun it and uh, through. I don't know. It sounds good to me. I don't know. Let's it listen. So like I, to, I, I really wanted to listen to it so bad because I saw the picture on SoundCloud and I thought. That looks like somebody that could take a that guy got his picture taken, you know, out maybe out at a pool in the summertime. Uh, and I thought, you know what, why does this guy have so many listens? And then the more that I searched for Splat Out of Luck, this song actually came up. I oh. thought, okay, this guy's actually got a lot more credibility than I. Okay, well, it's SoundCloud, thought. he's a rapper, he's a SoundCloud rapper. Yeah. And this came out eight months ago. Recent release. My life will move it away to be acting. She said that she like on my atlas. This life I gotta appreciate. Remember the time I ain't had this. But when they see me in a mansion, tell me that they probably clap it. Wow, these people just jump on his back and try to self promote. He's punching in a lot though. I think I like the quality of it. That's the name of the song. I like it. That's actually yeah. really good. I thought it was absolutely worthy of playing on the show. Oh yeah. Um, so check this out. So over almost eight thousand comments, but every one of these peep my profile. You going? Okay, I, I'm out of I'm out of touch here. Uh, <laughs> you going FW? Is that going to be forward it or? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh man, you going forward so it? You gonna <laughs> fucking love it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, know. all caps. I don't really fuck with. Oh, the you gonna fuck with it? He's gonna say you gonna fuck with it. Oh, oh yeah, you yeah, fuck yeah. With it. yeah. That's it. And this guy. Uh, it's is this his actual username? This account might deactivate follow reposted account. Oh my gosh. I guess. I don't really fuck with the self-promoting, but it's like the only way I can get my music out there. I'm not like other self-promoter. My music is fire too. I'd appreciate anyone taking the time to listen. Have a blessed day. Stay safe. Little Tekka, man. He's got so many people on his back. Yeah, man. And yeah, that was like really tons good. of comments just in the last day. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually really enjoyed that. So Yeah, me too. Um, this next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's called strangle flat out Dude. of luck um and i just it's embarrassing but so earnest that i gotta respect it so you know how you like you get together with your buddies and you take some pictures when you're hanging out when you're younger in high school maybe early college days and you you kind of throw something together in photoshop and send it to them and you keep it in your circle 
That yes. seems like the album cover here. Strangle Wank is the I name have of that. I'm going to send you my version of that photo that I will not put and out to the internet. Album titled Strumming One Out. <laughs> Jeez, dude. <laughs> Everything's so embarrassing, but also insanely earnest about it. Okay. So you want me to play this one? Oh, God. Yeah. Play too much of okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Here's Flat Out of Luck. Strangle Wank. He worked hard all of his life. Played the game and never stepped out of line. Followed the rules, but where did that get him nowhere? At 36, he ran flat out of luck. And that's about the time that he decided not to give a fuck. He quit his job, he burned his suits. Missed his mortgage payments and got a tattoo. A woohoo. Hey. <laughs> put down Good. You know what, dude? I want to let this one play out for another minute. Oh, that's the name of the song. And that's yeah. about the time that he decided not to give a fuck. Um, well, that grew on me very quickly. Just to follow with their their whole <laughs> strangle wank, strumming one out. Uh, There's so much happening in, outside of the podcast. <laughs> no one. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's a size medium shirt on me, by the way. <laughs> oh dang. Oh, I was such a skinny little boy. Oh yeah, man. The photos <laughs> you take with your friends that you just uh huh. <laughs> oh i'm so glad i get to share that with somebody okay uh so i have one more uh this is called shit out of luck um and this guy i i I don't know what his deal is because i almost thought it was going to be another punk band um but it's maybe it's just off his acoustic album called acoustic what is it called shit acoustic something or other (laughs) let me open this up shit out of luck acoustic as fuck which go. I thought was okay. And he's got like a picture with a, a hand-drawn photo of a guy with a mohawk. And 
It's very Simpsons, Simpsons-esque to Yes, me. it is, yeah. So I played the first track, Till I Fall Asleep. Um, I didn't love the vocals, but I should have played <laughs> Strangle Wank last. Um, uh, but Till I Fall Asleep, uh, <laughs> music was fine, vocals were weird. Um, but okay. uh, it's uh, the, the band is called Shit Out of Luck. So. All right, here we go. This is like Seven Mary Three. <laughs> I like the folk punk, like yeah, it's, aesthetic, it's not as bad it, as I thought. I mean, I thought it was gonna be like terrible vocals. These are actually okay. This is like live vocals. Yeah, yeah, it's very dry. Yeah. So they're out of Stuttgart, Germany. Oh, that's right. And I remember when I played it, I was like, oh, this dude's singing like a normal dude. I mean, well, normal. Uh, maybe like a Floridian Christian guy. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you look at the other uh, the other tracks, like Ich bin raus and Zilos durch die Nacht. I don't want to translate any of that, man. Mm-mm. I don't know what it's going to say. If their name is <laughs> shit out of luck and it's acoustic as fuck, I have no idea what that's going to yield. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm so, so glad yeah. you picked those because I came across those when I searched Bandcamp and I okay. thought, I don't know. You know, I'm going to leave it up to David to see if he wants <laughs> and brought them in. Of course, you leave it up to me. I'm going to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man, what's your la- what, what, yeah, any final thoughts on the song? Yeah, uh, I think you can tell that I really I really do like this song. Um, I'm glad that I listened to the demo first, the, even though the sound quality is a little bit more poor. Um, I like the delivery that they have with that track. Uh, this is dev- I'm excited to hear the rest of that demo album. Uh, and then listen to a few more songs on uh, their self-titled because we've only listened to Reason 346. But uh, yeah, I mean, so far I've been uh, pleasantly surprised with their early stuff. So this is a this is a banger for me. I like yes. it. Top track. I, yeah, I I agree. And especially like opening your demo with it, like no wonder they got signed. I mean, to a local record, but uh, a yeah. label. But um, I love the bait and switch and all of that. That's just a good <laughs> uh, a good way to open your record. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely want to go out and skate. Yeah, we should cut oh, some yeah. Rodney Mullen footage over the uh, the demo of this. That'd be tight. I'm gonna. Do it would that. fit right in. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, oh, the other thing we didn't mention in housekeeping, and we'll just mention it here, is we got written up in Enemy. Um, yes. So Enemy, uh, they've been doing this thing for the uh, quarantine, essentially. That's like podcasts you should binge. And uh, uh, I think Blink-155 was mentioned on the last uh, what feature that Round. they did. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I had sort of just responded to the tweet with a hands-up emoji. 
And uh, this time they responded and had us sort of like do a little blurb and everything. And uh, he even wrote his own blurb about us. So I thought that was really nice. I was so excited to share that around. Yeah. <laughs> the picture. Um, yeah, the screenshot of it. <laughs> uh, and um, so, yeah, Greg Cochran is the person that does the uh, feature. And it's Greg Cochran's Podcasts for the People. Um, number 17, Comedy and the Lockdown, Narcos and James Acaster's Greatest Year for Music Ever, Looking for Comfort listening step this way now uh we're not mentioned in the headline here the insanely long headline here um but we were mentioned in the tweet that went out for it uh so that was how i kind of got the heads up on it and uh yeah i thought oh and oh i can't believe i didn't think of this is we're also listed alongside fake doctors real friends the friends we rewatch podcast with zach braff and donald Faison. I oh abs- yes scrubs is a top five show for me Absolutely. So the fact that we're listed in uh, the same blog post with them is just a chef's kiss uh, oh, for me. Man. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so here's what here's what he said about us. Uh, the Lowdown, essential listening for fans of the Arizona rock band. Presenters Justin and David dissect a different Jimmy Eat World song. There's plenty. They started in the early 90s on each weekly episode. So yeah, thank you to Greg Cochran. Yes, thank um, you, Greg Cochran. And uh, if I hope this is a photo of Greg Cochran, um, he's such a, a dashing lad. Right. Glasses, uh, right? No. Well, OK, so let me copy this image and send it to you. Uh, this is the it's basically the image that's on the. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually so, a really well, uh, uh, well produced photo. You see all the, the lighting in there behind. Yeah. The boom oh, box. Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's like how like sitcoms have all the lighting. If you watch a sitcom, like I, I specifically remember Big Bang Theory, and I think I had met somebody who was like a set dresser on Big Bang Theory or something, and they had mentioned to me about all the lighting they put behind the plates in the uh, in the cabinets because yeah. they otherwise the plates and nothing in the cabinets reads unless you can light it from behind. So they had developed like these like flat light panels that they just lay in the cabinets behind things and it looks amazing um and also like chassis lights on you know street racing vehicles or some people put lights behind their tv that uh adapt to the scene that's playing um anyway very cool little touch oh yeah um although this is i'm a fan of the ambiance this is james acaster so maybe this is a photo of james acaster and not greg cochran so just kidding james acaster is a fine looking lad though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah okay so now if i click on podcast for the people all the blog posts um it's of different photos of different people uh yeah one of phoebe bridgers one of uh the cast of the oc so yeah there it is we are there man we made it <laughs> it's all downhill <laughs> from here baby. down man I know. it's all downhill from here uh, this is what what is this episode 29 so after this is 30 29, yeah Dirty 30s coming up next. Yeah, man. Um, So, yeah, I guess uh, uh, without further ado, I think we should uh, remind people that uh, in these trying times and not knowing, you know, when we're all returning to work, when we're all going to be able to see our friends and family again and really give somebody a hug, uh, I think we can all owe it to ourselves to be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. All right. Well, uh, today we have uh, a special guest, Eric Grubbs, who we actually found by accident. Um, 
And, <laughs> uh, we were doing our our typical Google searching, David and I, uh, separately, and uh, and I came across the content, you know. And I know that we, you know, when we were chatting before you had asked how I came across your book, and I guess it was more of a it's a a good thing maybe I don't know as as an author it was a good thing that that Google had indexed this information that we were searching specifically for splat out of luck, which is a you know a pretty early track. Uh, in Jimmy World's uh, discography, and mm-hmm. there there wasn't a lot of information that we found on the subreddit, and not a lot of information in general online other than the lyrics and a, a few Wikipedia articles. But when I saw books.google.com and I saw some content and clicked on it, um, I was I was just amazed at at how much information you had written on them. And so I picked three or four different spots to to kind of isolate and bring them in. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe if we can get Eric on on the podcast, that'd be awesome. And sure <laughs> enough, man, you got back to us so quick. Yeah, I, I'm always happy to <laughs> talk to people about this kind of stuff because like this was three and a half, almost four years of my life. And if I am asked about this book for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, it's It's just like... It's like the one. It's like the first thing I did for myself as an adult that was for the betterment of my life, and the only other thing that has really been close. Well, the only thing that's been better than that was marrying my wife. So um, (laughs) it's good that you mentioned that. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's 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 totally true. It's it's there. There are a lot of things uh, about myself that I've just only really have discovered in my forties. I'm forty one now, and um, really deciding to write a book with no agent, no deal, but just deciding to do something at a time that a lot of people were complaining about this book that uh, uh, Andy Greenwald wrote called Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock Teenagers and Emo. I'd only heard about it, and then I decided to do something about it, and then I started to read it, and I started to really understand why people of how – people like me that experienced emo and post hardcore would find that book rather offensive. So instead of just relying on message board rants and saying this sucks and somebody else should have written this, I decided to at least give it a shot. So, um, so I, I published this book in 2008, had to self publish it. And as we speak, I am working on a sequel to it that will hopefully come out in less than 10 years. <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, and if you look at all of the chapter listings, they are in they are in a particular order, right? You you do yes. you go into a, an overview of of what hardcore is and and Fugazi and mm-hmm. Ian McKay's role in Discord Records. And and a lot of that I'm I'm being exposed to now and it you know, for some people that have been in the know in this industry and in, in this music genre, they kind of go, "Well, Ian McKay, of course." But to me it's just kind of like I didn't realize how much uh, influence he had in a lot of this, um, both musically and then uh, you know on the production side, and, and having the Discord mm-hmm. house available, and and just really promoting a lot of these up and coming bands. Um, yeah, so there's a lot that that I learn in there, and that that's the first section. And then you go in, and I had to make sure that I read a few key um, chapters. I didn't get to read, you know, and and I'll, also um, Google Books doesn't have the entirety of your book in there, so. I, I read through the promise ring because we did mm-hmm. have Davey Von Bolin on as a guest um, a few a few weeks ago, which was which was an amazing get for us. 
Uh, and then I read this afternoon, I read Jimmy Worlds. You, you sort of end mm-hmm. the book, and is it? And, the, and there's a reason why you end the book with them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, it's to kind of mark major changes that happen. Um, and, and that's inspired by what inspired Michael Azarad to write Our Band Could Be Your Life, which you read post, a look at the influence of post-hardcore 1985 to 2007. Uh, it's extremely obvious that our band could be your life is a huge influence on this book because for clarity purposes, lack of a better word, (laughs) um, (laughs) I decided that what if I just kind of pinpointed it to uh, a hand, uh, a little less than a dozen important bands that were inspiring and inspired lots of people instead of essentially writing an encyclopedia of, Hey, this record's really good. And Oh my God, this band put out this really awesome EP. You should totally check it out. And so that's kind of my answer to people on Reddit and Facebook who are all like, Hey, that's great. But what about this band that only sold 300 copies of something that nobody talked about in the (laughs) nineties, but since the internet, you should be writing about this. And it's like, well, when was the last time you read an encyclopedia for fun? Right. So, um, to get back to your question, is that with Jimmy Eat World, they represented a mainstream breakthrough. And mainstream breakthrough was something that was seen as like evil and terrible, the whole sellout sort of thing. But I wanted to get their perspective on why they were okay with being on two major labels at the time that I was writing my book and how they came to be to have a mainstream hit. And also, if you read the book from start to finish, you can understand, at least you would hope understand, the difference between like what Rights of Spring was doing and then what Jimmy Eat World was doing. And I have to say this for the record is that I am a huge Jimmy Eat World fan of a certain degree of their career. I am not somebody who will hate on them. I will say this is that ever since... um, The record that they did uh, since Chase This Light, I have had a lot of misgivings about their sound. Uh, I'm not saying that they're a bad band. I'm actually really happy that they're still doing music and they're still active and they are still wonderful dudes. I interviewed Jim a few years ago for a piece I wrote in the Dallas Observer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, despite the fact that a number of friends of mine that still are very ride or die Jimmy Eat World fans, I haven't found a lot of their music to be totally up my alley, but I'm more than happy to like go deep uh, talking about their beginnings all the way to chase this light. And as a side note, um, I remember the last time I saw Jimmy Eat World was opening for the Foo Fighters. And um, (laughs) and this was when Chase This Light had just come out and they played Blister at that show. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, they're playing a song from Clarity. And. There was this girl near me, and I think she was a little messed up on something, or maybe she was just really overzealous. But at one point, she started yelling, play old shit, as in, (laughs) like, play something from Bleed American. And that's where I had to stop and say to myself, it's like, hey, they have a they have a different audience now. I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily a part of it, but. You know, it's just like understanding where I am now. So without that all the way, here you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was 2007, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe I saw them on that tour as well. That was the mm-hmm. uh, that was the second big tour of theirs that I saw. Um, the very first time that I saw them was, it was, I want to say it was Tenacious D, 
Jimmy World, and Weezer. I think they Weezer was headlining at that. And we went down. I drove my truck down to the Long Beach Arena down here. Um, when you saw mm-hmm. them, it was was that in Texas? Yeah, in Dallas. I've been a Dallas. Well, I've lived in the Dallas Fort Worth area since 1998, mm-hmm. and uh, other than like a summer living in Austin, uh, and 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 another summer living in Houston, where I mostly grew up, I was born in New Orleans, but spent most of the, my my um, childhood in Houston. Uh, I saw the Dallas show at the American Airlines Center, which is where the Dallas Stars and the Dallas Mavericks play. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I'm I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan, and so it was it was very interesting to see Jimmy Eat World and Against Me play. Um, but you know, they played to a good audience. And, uh, you know, I've seen Jimmy at World now three times. The first time was at uh, Rubber Gloves in Denton uh, at the drive-in opened. Uh, got a lot to say about that show. Uh, the <laughs> next time was on the Futures Tour, which is when beforehand I cornered Zach Lind to do an interview. And there's a whole story about how that came to be. But um, the third and last time uh, so far, uh, was seeing him at the American Airlines Center. Now you you cornered him. You didn't. Uh, <laughs> he was receptive, right? You didn't. You didn't like uh, guilt him in anything, or <laughs> no? It was this. It was here's here's the short backstory. I have a tendency to tell really rambling stories, but here's the short backstory: is that I was at a party um, in my mid twenties, and I had just started to work on post, and. Um, I was wearing my Sparta shirt and that I got from the campus radio station that I'd worked at in college. And um, to be frank, I was around a lot of hipsters. And so like a band like Sparta is not on their radar. Um, they might have been like, oh, yeah, I was really into at the drive in when they put out relationship of command. But I stopped caring about them uh, when they broke up. But but the thing is, is that I was wearing my Sparta shirt and this guy named Eddie walks up to me. It's like, hey, man, that's a cool band. Turns out this guy grew up with Jimmy Eat World and um, like put on shows and stuff. I mean, it was just like the randomest of things. And I'm still in touch with this guy. But he was kind enough to bring me backstage uh, when uh, Jimmy Eat World played at the Gypsy Tea Room. And um, I had already spoken to their publicist saying like, hey, this is this is the book I'm trying to do. I'd like to talk to somebody. And their publicist said, oh, let me get you in touch with the tour manager. And nothing came to be. Uh So Eddie brings me backstage and I introduced myself to Zach. And Zach was like, oh, I'll be happy to answer your questions over email. And I and I just thought, like, if I give these questions to him, he's not going to answer them. (laughs) So I so I just said, could we talk now? And he's like, sure. So we ended up talking for 30 minutes and almost Every single quote that you see in the Jimmy Eat World chapter directly from him is from that 30-minute conversation. And we wrapped it up right as the opener, The Rocket Summer, started. So that's how that came to be. Amazing. I was going to ask how you how you um, had uh, talked with him or at least interviewed him for those questions that – or the, the – the, um, I guess it would be the, the quotes that you had in that section. Uh, but it was from yeah. just a little 30-minute conversation before a show. Yeah, and I briefly got to speak to Jim, um, but it's no secret that Jim can be somewhat of a dick. Oh, and, really? Okay. Well, you're the he, first. To, you're the first I've heard. <laughs> well, there's there's a postscript to this. Um, 
I think he was not happy that I was asking questions when there wasn't an interview planned. And Jim has, well, Mark Trombino even said before they reconciled and they worked again, but Mark, uh, Jim has been labeled as a dick sometimes. That's not to say he's one all the time. It's just sometimes he's a dick. And well, what didn't help is that their tour manager, I, I only asked like two or three questions and the tour manager just said, you got it. You got time to ask two more questions and that's it. <laughs> and so like that to me was an example of, okay, the days of just like walking up to them at rubber gloves and having Jim sign my, um, <laughs> my blueprint uh, split seven inch. Those days are over because of the fact that given the stature that they were, again, they were on the futures tour, um, that they had to have people around them to get them from point A to point B and they could do everything. But the thing is, is that years later, I interviewed Jim, as I, as I said before, and Jim was totally awesome. He was a great dude. Yeah, and, right. you know, and it, it, and that's what I always say to people. It's like, if you have this one bad experience with somebody, it does not mean that that person is 100% a bad person. Um, as an aside, I interviewed Ian McKay twice on the phone and he was a total jerk, total, total jerk to me. But the interview quotes that he gave me were golden. And then I met him a little bit after the book came out and he, he remembered me. He was really, really nice. And he sent me a postcard and it's framed in my office and I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. So, you know, that's just kind of the nature of interviewing people. So, right. And, uh, I, I didn't want to say, Oh wow. Give me some more juicy details. I still, I, I am still of the belief that, any successful band, because there are so many out there, that the lead, the leader of the band, and in, in this case, it's it's Jim. You know, he's he's the lead singer, but mm-hmm. he's also the the front of the band. Um, you have to have a business ethic and let's get down to business attitude. And and for somebody who in interviews comes off so nice, it's like I, I've got to understand that this guy can't be that jovial all the time. He has to be correct. Yeah, business. Like you know, if we're at a show. So I get that. I mean, I don't. I don't look down down on it, or I don't look at him in any less of a, a shining light that I already did. I still yeah, think he's an amazing no. person. I would love to meet him, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, do, it doesn't. It's this is the first time I've heard of heard him being called a dick, though. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm using a word that somebody very well known has said on record about him. So yeah, I'm <laughs> uh, you know, I, but again, not trying to cause cause drama here. It's just, I'm going to, I just got to own up to how he treated me. But then I have to also look back and be all like, let's see it from his perspective of like, you don't know this guy, what's he trying to do? And also due to the fact that, um, you know, Jimmy world was, they were so, um, at that time, you know, when bleed American really blew up, they were not wanting to be like, yes, we're an emo band. It was just more like, no, we're just a rock band. Just, let it go. But you know, the, the myth has always been like, well, we can't call you a pop punk band. We can't call you a hardcore band. We can't call you just a rock band. We have to call you an emo band. Right. And, and that's how they got labeled. And, right. And, and I'll also say this about the, gr- a big impetus for writing this book, um, was that I worked at what was then known as an oldies radio station. Uh, um, and I was seeing artists that are some of the biggest artists of all time be reduced to quick little factoids and like say that they had like 30 big hits, but the station was only playing six of them because they quote unquote tested well. And I just thought about how nostalgia is this thing where you take 
all the things that you want to remember, you have good memories of, and you just sell it back to that audience. And there are some things that meant a lot to people that you just reduced to one little thing because of billboard chart positions. And at the time, and I believe still, Jimmy Eat World is technically a one hit wonder. So I just thought of like, well, what if there was some radio guy in 15 years that was like, oh, that was the middle by Jimmy Eat World. Hey, whatever happened to those guys? You know, that that emo band. Oh, my God. I just had that crazy emo phase. And and I just thought like, well, I should at least try to put some information out there that shows there's so much more than just um a, a single that went really high on the Billboard charts and, a, and an album that sold three million copies that had to go through a couple of uh, album names. But but anyway, that's if if there's like this painful earnestness that you detect in reading posts, that's really where it's coming from. Oh, also, I was somebody that always wanted people to listen to me. And here was my chance to make people listen to me. And so <laughs> well, they're captivated again, for what, like 400 pages? Yeah, well, I tried to make it as long as I could. It's just, but I also wanted to cut the fat out of like, you know, didn't want to go on and on and on about like the wondrousness of clarity. I'm, I leave that more up to the listener because I have a lot of things to say about clarity, but it's not really my place to just shove it down people's throats about what they should think about clarity. And when it comes to their first self-titled album, I got to admit, there's not a lot to say about it. Well, yeah, I think it, it. When I was listening to it this afternoon, or I guess it was this morning, I was listening to it, and you can hear, um, you can hear bits of sound that that is Jimmy Eat World that they captured on Clarity, Static mm-hmm. Prevails, and then even all the way into Bleed American with some of these sort of. It's kind of like the sounds that Mark Trombino would bring in, where there's these very unique. Um, it, sometimes it sounds like a guitar, kind of half connected to a to a a cable, um, but they use that as an intro. um, And they have that on that self-titled album. It was very Mm -hmm. much to me. It it seems very uh, broken up. Like the, they, they had all these songs and they put them on that. And maybe that's why they don't hold that, you know, as, as part of Canon, but right. uh, I still feel like it's got so many um, tidbits that, that tells like an early story of where Jimmy world was going to go that they've, they've held onto, um, you know, for those, for those next few records, uh, but oh, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, there's there's it, it does seem like it's got it's it's not really um, I don't know. I've formed, I guess you could say. Yeah. The only thing that's r- different about what you hear on the wooden blue self-titled one is Zach Lynn playing what Bad Religion called the forbidden beat. <laughs> you know, I don't think <laughs> he ever played. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just I just always saw it as like the beat that just would make me go crazy, uh, whether it was listening to face to face or strung out. Well, I I didn't re- I don't even know if I noticed that he was doing that for most of the songs is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, especially the song Splat Out of Luck, uh, where <laughs> I mean, it's just so strange to hear him play that way. But and you're talking like document- the, it goes like boo cap, boo cap, boo cap, boo cap, like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking of a different beat, but yeah, okay, then that one is that one is uh that one was noticeable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and with Splat Out of Luck, I that was my first time listening to it. There were a couple of other songs that that you had mentioned that I did I have heard um before, mm-hmm. but that was my first um listen to that and 
on the demo, that song starts the demo, and it makes sense to me because it's got that that sort of it's it's not really halftime, but it's a slower introduction, and then it goes into Zach's you know furious drum playing. Right, um, but it, I think it's on track six. It's it's kind of buried in the middle of the album on the self titled. I think it might be track four, but I could be wrong. I mean, I I, I full full disclosure, You're right. I have it never is, it is track four. <laughs> okay, I've I've never held a physical copy of the CD, um, but I've had it burned and it's somewhere in my office. Um, <laughs> and I listened to it a lot when I was working on post. Um, and it's it's just so interesting to hear when they do stuff that sounds more in line with like Drive Like Jehu yeah. and Rocket from the Crypt. Um, that and Jim sings lead on only one song, Usury. Yeah, Usury. And and everything else is uh, Tom Linton. Now I'll just say this: as we've been going back and as I, as I was, I mean, I really prepared to 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 talk with you about this, but <laughs> I'll just I'll just tell you this: is that um. My band, uh, not to get into self, self, go ahead, Shame, shamelessly, here. you know, go ahead, man, self promote. Okay, well, <laughs> I play in this band where uh, we're called Cave Mountains, where I switch off on bass and drums with another guy, and it's just a way that we can make things interesting, and and there's like endless kind of possibilities with that sort of way. And we can we've been compared to Sonic Youth, and then you will know us by the Trail of Dead, but but the thing is, is that we've been listening to all these mixes. Uh, that our producer has done. And something that we decided to do yesterday is go in and punch in a lot of moments where the vocals get really pitchy. And the thing is, is that since I spent like eight or nine hours yesterday working on vocals with the main singers of the band, and I, I do a little singing as well, but what I was listening to yesterday and today, specifically Static Prevails, um, the self-titled Jimmy Eat World Record and Jay June's This Afternoon's Malady or Malady um, is that there's a lot of really pitchy vocals on, <laughs> on those records. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. But in the case of what my band has been doing, um, we needed to make these changes. Right. And I think that becomes sort of because the pitchy vocals that you're talking about, they almost become that that. Uh, that that fingerprint that that uniqueness about it that it's not like it sounds bad but it right. sounds more raw to me mm-hmm. it doesn't sound yeah. so produced where they they have you know gone in there and oh this is the best take we're just going to repeat this for every chorus no they they played through the song and the chorus right. the second chorus is just a hair different from that first one right there's that song on static prevails that uh, longest time away where like Jim's vocals just start to shred and it's like whoa he's really letting it go and then <laughs> you know all these years later uh, you see Chris Caraba do something similar not saying that he stole this or anything but it's like whenever he would do that you know the audience freaks out you know <laughs> and I I should say this I have had no problem with Chris Caraba I've always liked Dashboard Confessional and to boot, as somebody that's interviewed him a couple of times for uh, the Dallas Observer and then Central Track, he's always been nice to me. And I just told him a little bit about posts. And he's like, I want to read this. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can send you a PDF. And it's like, no, 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 I want to buy this. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, OK, all right. So, you know, he's 
yeah, he's he's tops to me. And, um, you know, people can talk about how like they were so embarrassed by seeing Dashboard play MTV Unplugged to me at that time when so much rock music just needed to be cathartic and not fake. I don't blame that audience for just opening up and singing along the way that they did. Um, and I think, you know, that but that's a whole other story. I'm getting off topic. So let's get back on top. <laughs> No, I was listening to that. I mean, I was um, it, when you mentioned the unplugged thing. It, it took me back to when you know, I was I had watched the the replay of that, and it wasn't like I mm-hmm. watched it online. They they just had MTV. It was replaying it just because of it was it was so unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so you had mentioned uh, uh, two songs that you said you could go on for about thirty minutes on, and uh, <laughs> one of them was "What Would I Say to You Now," and that's a that's a fast jam. It ends. Uh, mm-hmm. Static Prevails, right? Well, the reissue of yeah. Static Prevails. It was originally on a seven inch, and I am currently blanking on who it was. Feel free and call the number that uh, Jimmy Eat Pod has supplied. So <laughs> you can yell Eat Pod. <laughs> yeah, where you can you can scream uh, and or leave a comment and be all like, "Yes, Eric, because you don't know this, you clearly do not know anything about Jimmy Eat World, and you need to get off this show and never be on it again." So that's kind of the nature of internet comments right folks right but but anyway what i would say to you now um that oh god that song kicks ass that that chorus is just incredible and um and i i actually saw them play that when they were touring off of clarity in march of 1999 a freezing cold night in denton uh jimmy world was fantastic jim signed the seven inch that i bought um, but at the drive-in stole the show because that's when at the drive-in looked like they were going to rip apart the stage. Right. Oh yeah. And, and so it was incredible. And there was a previous episode where you guys were talking about how, uh, Tony Hajar from at the drive-in and, uh, Sparta yeah, on disintegration. Um, yeah. Yeah. On, on disintegration where you wondered, it's like, did they tour? It's like, oh yes, they toured. <laughs> um, and they also worked with the same A&R guy, Craig Aronson and Craig right. Aronson is a name that uh, for right now in my book, your name, this book I'm currently working on, which will be called forever got shorter, by the way, um, you're going to hear Craig Aronson's name a lot because he worked with Jimmy eat world. He worked with at the drive-in and later on he worked with my chemical romance. And sadly he died of cancer a few years ago. And um, so, and everything about him is just positive, but but anyway, the thing is, is what I would say to you now is one of those songs that was only available on a seven inch. And when I was involved with the Jimmy World uh, email discussion list, people would talk about this song and Speed Read, H Model. And then there was this new song called Sweetness that they did not play at the <laughs> Denton show. But I heard that they played in Austin and my friends were like, that song is that's it's this really, really good song. And that's what led me to download Napster because somebody asked one day in the email discussion list, it's like, how did you get this song, this, this demo of sweetness? It's like, oh, I just downloaded it from Napster. And I was living uh, on campus at the time. And I thought that Napster was just a great way to supplement the music that you already bought with stuff that you could not buy, or it was like impossible for you to find. Right. Um, Literally a month later, I lived with three roommates at the time. And um, 
they were not as obsessive and crazy about music. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just more like they liked what was on the radio and they would like to listen to it, you know, on a CD. But I was like, you know, I'm going to buy Coldplay's Parachutes and then I'm going to download a live recording that they did. But the thing is, is that literally a month after I downloaded Napster and I told a couple of my roommates about it, that's when Napster was everywhere and it was a threat to the music industry. When people that I knew that were not really into collecting music the way that I was and they were using it all the time, downloading music night and day, that's when I realized there's a problem. So what I would say to you now, it was great to have um, on a seven inch, uh, that, um, well, no, wait, uh, the seven inch that I actually had signed by Jim got warped because I accidentally left it in my car while I was visiting my sister in Lubbock. And I didn't know much about vinyl warping in, in the sun and in the heat. And so I have a warped record, but it's signed by Jim Adkins. But anyway, that's what I would say to me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So better, better than anyway. Yeah, so I have, uh, you know, what I what I would say to you now on on a seven inch and I was really stoked when it was put on the singles compilation, but I am bummed uh, about how the singles compilation and practically everything that Big Wheel Recreation put out is not available for streaming from like Spotify or Apple Music. So whenever I hear people talk about how, oh, I just got rid of all of my CDs because I can download it or um, stream it, I'm like. Are you sure about that? <laughs> right. Yeah, and I have a I have a huge I have the the largest Case Logic makes, right, of CDs. And they were the big ones that had the mm-hmm. four and I want to say it was about 4 or 5 inches thick. I can't I can't uh bring myself to throw them away, not throw them away. I would donate them. But donate them right. because um I went through the list and I went through my Spotify and I and I said, "Okay, I'm going to favorite this album because I have this one." I'd say about a third of them were unavailable for whatever reason, if it's a copyright mm-hmm. or they just never transferred it digitally. So I just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the same concept. I can't, I can't bring myself to get rid of that because I don't know what's going to be available. Right. Yeah. And um, if it's here today, it could be gone tomorrow for right. no reason. Um, right. You know, like, and like, for example, this is, this is a band that has nothing to do with Jimmy Eat World, but there's this Irish band called Therapy with a question mark. And they made incredibly bizarre, but really tuneful metal pop punk in, and the, well, they're actually still around, but in the mid nineties, they put out a few records on AM. And one of their best records is Infernal Love. And it was not on Spotify for the longest time. They put it on Spotify and then it magically disappeared like only a few <sighs> months later. So I'm like, <sighs> Yeah. And like and and YouTube isn't the most reliable thing for having a good quality uh copy of something. Now, having a copy of Splat Out of Luck uh on YouTube is pretty cool, but um <laughs> right. But you can't trust that it's always going to be there. And I think people are being very naive that uh if they think well everything's just going to be available for streaming or download and I'm I'm sorry I I don't buy it. Right. And, and you know, in, in these songs that we're doing, we're doing their entire discography. So we've got some very obscure tracks. There were some that, that David does have um, a grand library. Of. He even mm-hmm. recorded um, the show that Jim Adkins did at, at Velvet Jones out here in Santa Barbara that he and I both attended. Um, mm. and, and partly because maybe Jim would play a song there that he would never record or play again. 
And and he was right. There's some tracks on there that there were covers that uh, that he may never play again. But anyway, he's got he's got um, a, a we have a shared drive of all these tracks because there's so much. I, I want to say you know maybe a quarter of Jimmy World stuff that we can't find in good quality online. Yeah, um, that yeah. we need to access and be able to refer back to or bring up on the podcast. And so we do. We we can't we can't rely on you know he's got Apple Music and I've got my Spotify, but between those two, mm-hmm. we can't rely on them. Right. Can you share this drive with me? Uh, after Absolutely. The show? <laughs> you bet we can. Sure. Thank we you. have with a couple of people on the subreddit. Um, and, and we sort of mix and match. There was a couple, were a couple of people who, who said, Hey, look, I've got a few things that you might not have. And sure enough, let's just share, you know, it's like, yeah. it's kind of like a little bit more, um, it's like Napster was back then, but a little more personal. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, yeah. um, you had mentioned this several times in the book and I am, I, I just I just don't know about this, but you mentioned the relevancy of seven inches to the entire music scene. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, um, I know that Jimmy Eat World, their seven inch was uh, one, two, three, four, but there were a lot of other bands that had a lot more seven inches um, released. What is the relevancy of, of seven inches to this? And um, I mean, they're all on it's all vinyl, right? And you right. can fit like a couple of songs on a seven inch, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on if it's a really fast song. Like pop punk bands could put at least two songs, or usually on average, two songs per side. Um, and seven inches were really, you know, a way to go. I mean, like as an aside, yes, this is a mini rant. Anytime I hear somebody say like, hey, vinyl's making a comeback. I'm like, it never went away. You may have <laughs> not seen it in a Best Buy or a Target for a long time, but it never fully went away. And really the punk and hardcore scenes kept vinyl alive and when it comes to seven inches this was a great way to introduce people to it um what you see now with uh you know when you log on to your spotify account and you see like people also listen to this that's essentially what seven inches did along with compilations is that here's a great case in point okay uh i am a huge face-to-face fan was one in high school and it the love has just it has never gone away right right and so i reached a point after listening to face to face after a few years um where i decided i want to own everything that face to face has ever released uh as in like songs that are not on any record and so i bought this split 7 inch with a band i had never heard of called Horace Pinker <laughs> and yes named after the shocker villain Right. And yes, and when I had the opportunity to uh, ask the actor that played Horace Pinker at a horror convention, I just politely asked him, have you ever heard Horace Pinker's music? And it's like, no, but I've heard about him. And he was so nice. Anyway, the point is, yeah. is that I was introduced to this band, Horace Pinker, that there would have been no way else that I would have heard them. And they had what I would later know as an emo-ish kind of sound. So it, it was people getting turned on to that stuff all the time. And if there was one band that you could say, like, did that to a T for really good reason, it was Braid, the band that's formed in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Uh-huh. They put out music on comps, any kind of comp that they could be on, any 7-inch. They wanted their music out there. And it was actually because of a 7-inch that Jimmy Eat World did with Christy Front Drive is that that is how they got signed to Capitol Records because the A&R people – um, saw, um, I saw Christy Front Drive open for Sensefield at a show, 
And Christy Front Drive, let's just make it abundantly clear, they never wanted to be on a major label. Um, so what Andy Greenwald says in Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock Teenagers and Nemo is totally not true, where um, it, he makes it sound like, oh, they just uh, the A&R people just flipped the seven inch over and decided to go after Jimmy World because uh, Christy Front Drive turned down the opportunity to be on a major label. That is not true. The, what Ron Marshall of Christy Front Drive said to me is that they did not want to be on a major label at all. The band ended up breaking up not long after this. Um, and But Jimmy Eat World was already in contention. Um, and so uh, I believe the song is Digits uh, on that uh, split seven inch that they did with Christy Front Drive. Yep. So it that's the power of seven inches. And I still think it's a valuable way of uh, introducing people to bands. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that seven inch. So we were doing, um, we hadn't really looked into Steve Naughton at all. And I wanted to look at, Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, what's Steve Naughton doing? Um, at the same time when he's putting together, you know, this album with Jimmy world. And sure enough, the, the split seven inch that comes up is face to face and Horace Pinker, Mm-hmm. So in this, I know you haven't listened to the episode, but we do mention that. And the fact that Mitch Pileggi, who ends up going on to be, you know, the, the, what is it? The head, of, I don't know if you're into X-Files at all, but he was, um, he was basically. I just know him, I know him more from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Sorry. To oh, interrupt. oh, is he in there too? I, n- I never, I never saw the series. Yeah. He, uh, he, he plays a very scary uh, white supremacist. <laughs> so he goes from playing Horace Pinker to being like the, the head of the FBI. Now back to this, man, maybe he's, that's uh that, that's more of his style is the is the crazy uh mm-hmm. the killer right yeah okay so i i see so it's just taking a band that has a, a lot of clout relevancy and then putting putting a, a band that they're almost it's it's like they're saying that the, this band is worthy of of listening to you know take yeah. a couple of minutes out of your day and listen to this so. mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean yeah. Uh, if i i'd never heard of the band blueprint but they did a split seven inch with jimmy world and that's how i was even aware of them yeah, it's it's so different now. I, you know, I'm thinking right. Um, it was 1998 when I got the. It was around the same time that I listened to Lucky Denver Mint on K Rock, and they. Ah, had, oh they, boy, I want to <laughs> talk to you about that. <laughs> we can get they, to that later. <laughs> they, okay, they had put out. Uh, K Rock had sent out. I don't know how I got this. If I went to a show or if I was at a record store and picked one up, but it was a calendar, and each mm-hmm. month had one of their their DJs on there, and I can still remember. Um, uh, striker sitting, you know, sitting there on a, on a brick bench or sitting on a brick wall, um, you know, hands across his legs, just looking at the camera, but it came packed with a demo CD. And mm-hmm. that was like the last time that I was ever offered, you know, a full CD of 12 or 13, um, pieces of music that were all different, but they were suggested pieces of music ever since then. It's been kind of word of mouth. And even now it's, it's like, I talk less and less to people about music. So it's like, how do I get these, how do I get introduced to new music? So I'm just, I'm finding mm-hmm. myself listening to a lot of the same bands. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Spotify recommendation is wonderful. And, yeah, that does help. You know, you know, just always be on the lookout if, you know, somebody that you admire, like really uh, talks openly about some band. Case in point, Evan Weiss is somebody that I've really respected and admired for a long time. You know, he does uh, Into It Over It. And um, he one day was tweeting about this incredible band from England called crash of rhinos. And I listened to it. I was like, Oh my God, this is in, this is incredible. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it starts like that. And 
And to the point where the guys from Crash of Rhinos, three of the members are in a new band called Holding Patterns, and they make music that is is as good as Crash of Rhinos, and it's just the love affair continues. And so, you know, it's just more of a matter of see what people say on social media. And I mean, it, the the stakes are so low in just clicking on something, you know, clicking on something on Bandcamp or Spotify. If you don't like it, you just move on and then you find right. something that you do like. Right. And uh, David from Growing Up Punk Pod, I don't know if you've listened to his at all. Um, no. But he and Aaron, uh, his co-host, they talk about a different punk album um, from the, I want to say late nineties, early two thousands, they'll go through there, but he did something kind of similar to what you're, you're kind of talking about with, with people that are suggesting music. It was, it was the, uh, the quarantine episode where he talked about, Hey, look, I, 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 I queried a bunch of podcasters and people to give us their, you know, a review, a quick review of a band that they think is, you know, not very well known. And he mm-hmm. compiled it into over a couple of episodes because he had so much response with this. But it was essentially two episodes that introduced, if you listen to it, introduced people to a lot of new music that no one is listening to, but is right. worthy of at least a listen. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's there's out, people out there trying to do that. Yeah, this this is right up my alley. I mean, right before we started recording, I asked if you had ever heard of the Dig Me Out podcast. Those guys do just this incredible job of just talking about the most obscure major label releases that somehow ended up at the college radio station that those two guys worked at. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm just see like, this is where people like us that got into a scene pre digital. Um, this is what we do now um, where we do podcasts. We talk about these kinds of things and right. I'll just have to say this. Um, just wanted to make it be known that no scene, no, the scene never died. Scenes change. Um, and they especially changed with the advent of downloading music, but it never dies. It, the, the desire of like young people wanting to make music, get it out there, go on tour, um, and just try to do the best that they can. I don't think that will ever die, but not right now during our pandemic. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I mean, people are finding all sorts of ways to just express themselves with like live concerts and, and whatnot. And, you know, Hey, even, even my band, uh, one of the, the main singers of the band is like, there was a couple of weeks in a row where he was just going live on Facebook and playing new stuff, old stuff, uh, just to be creative. So, right. Right. And I, you know, there was everyone sort of jumped on that live, um, the, the YouTube live bandwagon. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Roll was no exception. On Friday afternoons, before they had the stay at home order, they were doing those, uh, you know, it was essentially Jim doing acoustic shows at, uh, at, at local um, places to Tempe and, uh, and Mesa where, you know, they, they had had a history or they're mm-hmm. trying to support that. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they're playing it. It seems like a little bit more of an intimate um, exposure to these these artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you were, you were hinting earlier that there were two songs that I, I could just talk for 30 minutes about. Right. Um, I'll, I'll save, I'll save that for later, but I'll just give you kind of this, like one little thing about like turning people on to music is that, uh, and when you talked about here in lucky Denver mint on K rock yeah. is that um, 
I became a huge fan of Jimmy Eat World through Static Prevails, as more specifically their version of New Religion on the Duran Duran Tribute album. And I had heard about emo through Blink-182. They were praising all these emo bands. I tried to understand what emo was. Asked a couple of pop, fr- pop punk friends that were into like 10-foot pole, no effects, propaganda, and they all hated emo. And um, I said to them, I'm like, well, I heard that Jimmy World's an emo band. Is that true? <laughs> and they're all like, oh, yeah, they really are. They're, I mean, their songs are slow and they're anticlimactic, really jazzy, and kids cry <laughs> at the shows. And so I was like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. So I listened to New Religion and it sounded almost, it reminded me strongly of Smashing Pumpkins' Soma. As in like, it's it's got a lot of melancholy in it, but it also rocks, you know? And I I really like the mix of minor chords, diminished chords with major chords, right? Uh And so I become a huge fan of Jimmy Eat World and ironically, less than a year later, I run into one of my pop punk friends and he was telling me about how much he loved the Get Up Kids. <laughs> anyway, so this leads to Jimmy World is working on a third proper album. It's okay if people think it's a second album because, well, most people at that time had never heard the self-titled album. Right. And so I heard Lucky Denver Mint and I was like, I think I heard it on real audio. I was like, I, I am... I am buying this once this EP comes out. So I went and visited some friends in Austin, guys that I knew from high school. And uh, I put it in their CD player as we drove back. And my friend Tim was like blown away. It was like, whoa, this song is so catchy. And he wanted to like listen to it over and over again. And um, and I, I was seeing how like Jimmy World was turning people on that say would would have never really gotten into them through, say, Thinking That's All or Rockstar. Right. And, you know, the, that song Roller Queen, I just have to say, that's just such a great ending track. And I think it's essentially Jim playing all the instruments and programming all that. And uh, I mean, it's just a beautiful song. And sadly, none of those tracks are available on Spotify. Yeah. Um, but I had a really good conversation with Vinny from Fuel by Ramen and Less Than Jake. And he talks about how they took that EP because uh, I forgot that Fuel by Ramen put out that that EP. They took it to independent radio along with the help of Capital, and it really started to break them. And K-Rock was the station that was playing them a lot. And MTV2 also played them. 120 Minutes played the Lucky Denver yeah. video a couple of times. Um, but then right as the album came out, K-Rock dropped it from regular, um, uh, regular rotation. So... Yeah, but lucky so the fact for us, it's stuck enough to where, yeah, <laughs> you know, we 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 followed them and they became what they are now. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, so you it, hearing it on K Rock is awesome to me. Yeah, I I love that. I love the story there, and I had it on. Um, I still have it on on a what I call the '90s tape, uh, and I've mm-hmm. tried to recreate it on on Spotify. I you know I still have it, but I don't really have the uh, the means to play it anymore. All all of my tape machines have burnt out the one in my truck that i used to to have my cd player connected to burnt out a while back so i can't really play uh, many tapes um Mm -hmm. anymore so yeah but that was on there yeah and it's it's the original i i loved it so much that when they played it i think it was uh either the furious five at nine or it was uh it was some kind of regular uh show that they had on k-rock where I, i was able to time it and record the entire track yeah yeah so you know let's Looking at Jimmy World's entire discography as we sort of wrap this thing up here, I, 
I know that you said you haven't listened to much beyond Chase This Light. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think what do you think makes Jimmy World um so successful um to, they, to this day? Yeah. Yeah. They have a penchant for writing really striking melodies that you don't have to be just a young person to get into. Um and there's something about the way that especially Jim weaves his singing voice mixed with how the band plays um, that it's to the point that even when the middle was everywhere, you know, it wasn't being played every hour on, on MTV and radio as much as people like to blanket is that it's more like maybe like a less than a handful of times each day. But, but, but the thing is, is that they have this penchant for writing really great songs and uh, revisiting lucky Denver mint, revisiting um rockstar and claire uh, and digits those i never get tired of those songs and i think what i was trying to say is like i never got tired of the middle when it was when it was ultra popular yeah um and that's hard to do and so um i think they have just always stuck to what putting out the music that they want to be the best band that they can be Instead of trying to become to latch on to trends or something like that, um, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be our dubstep record or something like that. Right. It's, right. Instead, in, or like, oh, this is going to be our throwback record and and all this. And I, I admire them for just sticking to what they think is best for them. And, um, you know, I freely admit I checked out with Chase This Light. Um, and I've tried to give every record since then a chance, but none of the songs that I've heard have really grabbed me like the way that Thinking That's All or Lucky Denver Mint or Hell Even Bleed American really right. grabbed me. Because I'll say this, I remember getting an advanced copy of Bleed American from the radio station that I worked at in June of 2001. And I remember just driving around Fort Worth uh, looking for a new apartment for the fall and just loving this record. Never once being like, Hey, there are no really long songs on here. What's up with that? I never thought that. <laughs> I just thought like, man, these songs are incredible. Like if you don't, don't, um, not the biggest fan of the authority song, but whatever. Um, but you know, here you may, uh, the fact that that was a go big casino song that I downloaded through <laughs> Napster and heard it redone and the way that, uh, Jim played or sorry, Zach played the drums. You know, I, I, I really admired that. And so like Jimmy world is just a quality band that I'm thankful that they continue to have a career and have an audience that keeps them on the road and making records. Right, and I'm glad that you're that you're focusing on them in this in this new book, or at least you know part of their uh, yes, you know their 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 tenure as a band. It, it seems like right now with surviving, surviving was a very interesting record. I that got a lot of love on the subreddit, and mm-hmm. but I think what what they're really doing with this, and, and this is partly um, because of that how that character that he had in the five 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 video kind of became a meme. Um, mm-hmm. But they're they're introducing their music to a, yet another wave of fans. You know, there's the original yeah. adopters that knew them before they were Jimmy Eat World, and they hold that in their hearts and say, "Hey, look, you know what? I knew them before they were even the band that that was on K Rock." And then there's there's our people. You know, there's our our wave that that looks at them as the band that was 
on um, on terrestrial radio, and then I got into a few of their their albums. Love them as a band, and then there's the ones that see them now that they're you know they're on the internet, they're on YouTube, they're staying relevant, and mm-hmm. you know it doesn't really matter. I we can be we can be fans of this band whatever stage in their career, but as long as yeah. they keep making music, and you know that Jim has admitted, you even said this in your book that he's a, he's planning on being a career musician. There's nothing else he wants mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. So as yeah. I'm, I'm so happy for them as a band that they're staying relevant and and mm-hmm. being true to themselves as musicians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I always stress that the biggest record of their career was done self financed. Yes. Um, because I noticed that there were a lot of younger bands, not going to name names, but they just wanted the fame that Jimmy World got with that record. And I don't think they ever wanted to become famous. They just wanted to be the best band that they could be. Yeah. Yeah. And that mentality hasn't changed much. They've, uh, you know, they've done a couple of concept albums like The Invented was the, you know, each song is a vignette based off of of a photograph by one of two photographers. And then Damage is essentially their, it's like a breakup concept record. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they haven't, they didn't go too far into that. I mean, they they experimented a little bit, but like you said, it's not like, yeah, this is our throwback record or this is going to be, you know, a a completely different offshoot of Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely don't disparage people that say have enjoyed uh, Jimmy Eat World since Chase This Light or anything. It's just like, um, you know, uh, they did that Clarity anniversary tour a few years ago. Or maybe a number of years ago, yeah. Jeez, how the how the time flies, um, right? <laughs> where I, you know, I'm I just thought to myself. By, by the way, it never came to anywhere close to me in Dallas. But I just thought, like, you know, I don't think anything was gonna really top seeing them on the Clarity tour without yeah. the drive-in opening up. So, um, but you know, for people that say never got to see Jimmy World, go see them. Go yeah. see them. Yeah, there's know? there's no, uh, you know, I, and I've mentioned this before to David. Is there's some opportunities I've. I've passed up because I thought, you know what, I'll see them next time. But that, you know, seven years later was some iconic, you know, you know, uh, tour that they had gone on that they're never going to do something like that again. And I didn't take mm-hmm. advantage of it. And and now, I, you know, look at me now. It's, you know, it would have been a couple of hours of my time and, and yeah. maybe 50, 60 bucks to go see them. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's different than the the time that I passed on seeing Pavement on the Bright in the Corners uh, tour. Um, cause I wasn't really that familiar with pavement. And so I thought, and I grew to love pavement. And then I saw a lot of their live footage on that DVD that they put out. And I thought, I don't think I missed much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just being honest here. And you I mean, think like, about pa- that too. Would you have really appreciated it if you had gone, you could just say, Hey, look, I went to that pavement, um, show, but would you have appreciated it at that time? So yeah, I guess there's two, there's yeah. two sides to that. Yeah. And, and also something that I've had to really take a step back on is like anytime I talk about concert experiences that I try not to make people feel less than because maybe they didn't have the same experience as me. Um, because uh, I always love telling people stories about shows that I went to. Um, but I realized that I can be like a real condescending guy about it because of the fact that I've t- I tried to talk about this with somebody that uh, I'm not going to name his name. He is a friend of mine. We overall have been cool, but something that I don't think he really knows or I've, I've never told him. It's like, I want to tell you about shows I went to, but you always have a better show story than mine. And it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I just, but I also say this about um, people that, 
you know, if you missed out on seeing a band that you grew to love years later, if you have the opportunity to go see them play on a reunion tour, chances are it'll be good. So you should go. Um, but there are certain bands that I'm not the biggest fan of them reuniting because uh, some of them have really ruined their legacy. Uh, you know, that that band with the initials at the drive in um, anyway. But but it's but it's like for people that say, but if but if, if somebody has never seen at the drive in before, then then go. But um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay thirty dollars to see them play a secret show at Club Dada in Deep Ellum, and they just stand there like statues when previously I'd see them like want to rip each other apart because of right. just the intensity of it. I mean, it's like nothing can replicate that. But if this was your first time to see at the drive-in, then go. And with Jimmy Eat World, it's like they might might play something from Static Prevails or Clarity or a deep cut from Futures or Bleed American. But if you have the opportunity to go see them and you've always wanted to go see them, then see them. Yeah. And, and I have one last question for you, Eric. And sure. uh, this is one that I, I had uh, sort of glossed over that uh, another term that you mention a lot. And, and the very first Google book that we came across, um, which came out, I think, a couple of years after you had written and published yours. And where is it now that I am missing it? It is, there it is. It is New Wave of American Heavy Metal. And oh. this was written by Gary Sharp Young, and we came across it. His reads more like an index. And you know, in the very beginning of our little conversation here, you mentioned like you didn't want your book to be an index. His right. read a lot more like uh, you could go to this page and, and read about Jimmy World, Mesa, Arizona. Gives the lineup and then their discography. Mm -hmm. um, but he also mentions this DIY rockers. You 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 comment on that that term, the do it yourself style. Uh, could you mm -hmm. could you just explain to us what exactly that DIY style is? Sure. It's essentially that you have a band, you enjoy what you do, but there's really no way of knowing somebody that can help you put on shows, go out on tour, uh, make music videos, record records, uh, cut them to vinyl or CD. So instead of waiting around for somebody to say, you're worthy enough to do this, you pick it up and you do it yourself. Um, and, and, and honestly, the DIY attitude is even easier to do now in the day and age where you can, you can pick up on how to make videos really quickly by the stories option on Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, TikTok, uh, that if, instead of just waiting around for somebody to tell you, you can do it, you can now do it now, or you can do it now. And it might stink. You might look back and be like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed by that. But at least you started and tried to do something. And right. when it came to my decision to write this book, um, there's kind of this crazy story, but I'll just tell you the, the, the gist of it is that a pile of shingles fell onto my head, uh, right before I went and, um, dropped off my rent check for that month. And then I, I was so dazed by it that I ended up driving to work a little bit earlier. And as I was exiting off the Dallas North tollway, I thought about writing a book about post-hardcore emo in the vein of our band could be your life. And, uh, because of the fact of like, I, I got hit and I was just like, when am I going to feel better? And so then I started imagining like, well, when are things going to get better when people are talking about post-hardcore and emo? Because apparently this nothing feels good book is really, really bad. And so I thought, <laughs> well, I'm inspired by people that just picked things up and just did it, whether it's Kevin Smith or Jimmy World. And so, you know, 
it's it's like no one is stopping you from writing your own book about emo and um or pop punk or hardcore so it's like if you want to get all upset on reddit about how there aren't any good books about this then well what's holding you back from writing your own book that's just right. that's that's my spiel about do it yourself and uh it was you know you had to have a lot of drive to do it 20 30 years ago now it's even easier very well said um did you want to Take a moment to let us know, first of all, that your book, your book is available for purchase. And yes. So let us know where we can get your book and where we can find mm-hmm. out more about you and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can find post a look at the influence of post hardcore 1985 to 2007. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, I had to self-publish it through a website called iUniverse. I is in the letter I universe.com. And they were able, because of the connections, they were able to get me into all Amazons around the world. I actually know of people in Indonesia that have read my book and have asked questions about it over the years. It's just kind of crazy, but that's where you can get it. Um, You can also follow me on social media. I'm kind of active on Twitter, Eric underscore Grubbs. And I'm on Instagram at Eric J Grubbs and the J is for James. Um, (laughs) So uh, and honestly, like lately on my Instagram, I've been posting a lot of stuff from my CD collection that I've been pulling out and really revisiting and enjoying because as I'm working on this new book called Forever Got Shorter, another look at the influence of post hardcore 2008 to 20 something i don't know because the book is the book is not done yet oh right but it's in it's very it's very much about all the bands that reunited and all the bands that i gave uh chapters to and post have reunited in some form or fashion and yes fugazi has reunited just behind closed doors and i know to never say in front of ian mckay fugazi broke up because he'll (laughs) correct you um so (laughs) um but uh this is about all the band reunions the mainstream version of emo but also talking about the emo revival and there's just a lot of stuff that i'm really really excited about documenting for this book and it continues to be a work in progress and so far it'll be another self-published affair um but i want to finish it and uh, I don't mind talking to people about emo at all. So, yeah, yeah and I'm I am definitely uh, going to get the physical version of the book, uh, mainly because I I like to have physical books in my library. Um, it's it's different to have them digitized. It just doesn't. Yeah, have it's same. it's a different relationship with reading yeah. stuff off your phone versus reading a physical book. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I look I look forward to getting mine from Amazon. I don't know if it's going to be Prime or not. I might I might get it in a couple of days, but well. <laughs> I think it's available on Prime. Excellent. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. But and maybe um, I can mail it to you and then you can sign it and send it back. How's that sure. I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. One of the most flattering things was when Todd Bell of Braid was like, would you mind signing this? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, sure. And I'm like, maybe I should send him like my stack of Braid CDs and be like, can you sign these too? <laughs> You know, I mean, oh, it's I, I'm I'm more than happy to sign this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, because and, and I always got to stress this to people. It's like if people are telling, you no, that does 
but you know deep down this is like something that you want to put out there, don't let somebody who is bitter and, you know, like, oh, I tried to get a book published and it was just terrible. You know, I mean, I almost got a book deal, but I had to pass on it because what they wanted was not the book that I wanted to put out there. Yeah. And I walked away from like getting a, a somewhat nice advance. Um, but uh, but I just was like, this isn't the book that I want to put out there. And um, but it's like, don't let somebody's opinion sway you from doing what you know is the right thing to do. And um, yeah, so that's my that's my final thought. Yeah, empowering words, man. Well, Eric, thank you so much for your time and coming on. We are going to have you back on again for sure. You are a wealth of information, and thank and you. I, thank I don't you. know. I love your stories. Thanks, man. I got I got a lot, and thank you so much for having me on. This is always a fun thing to do for me, even if I start losing my voice, which I'm <laughs> <laughs> <You> close. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need some water right after this, yeah. but uh, thank you for having me on your show, and I enjoy what you do, and I look forward to the future episodes. Awesome, Eric. Thanks, man. Have a great one. Thanks. You too.